This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, Go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Well, it's good to be back with you this afternoon. And uh, this morning we looked at the importance of planning. And we looked at that from four different perspectives. Uh, That planning is biblical that we should plan because, quite frankly, life is short. We should plan because we need to be intentional about using that dash that we call life. And then that we should plan because it allows us to prioritize what is best in our life versus what is good in our life. But as we mentioned at the conclusion of that session, even if we have a plan, the tyranny, the urgent remains, doesn't And so... In spite of life and all the things that come at us, how can we still be successful and combat the tyranny of the urgent? For many of us, we we probably feel like um, this basset hound by the name of Tattoo. John Ortberg first shared this story. Perhaps you've heard it. Tattoo didn't intend to go for an evening run, but when his owner shut his leash in the car door and took off for a drive... With the little basset hound outside the vehicle, he had no choice. Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed a passing vehicle with something dragging behind it. The basset hound, as he put it, picking them up and laying them down. He chased the car to a stop and Tattoo was rescued, but not before the dog had reached a speed of 20 to 25 miles an hour, rolling over several times. Many of us live life like tattoo, don't we? We're picking them up and we're laying them down. And we're caught in the tyranny of the urgent. As life is happening so fast, sometimes we wonder how can we continue at such a pace? And thus we wish that, as you see in your outline, there were eight days in a week and 25 hours in a day. But, you know, sometimes we bring this on ourselves, don't we? Parkinson's principle states that work always expands to fill all the available time. In a sense, we often create urgency in our lives, don't we? Because of a lack of planning or because we get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent, we create a lot of urgency. I've had some students tell me, I I like to wait till the last minute to do my assignments because then it only takes a minute to do it. (laughs) And such is their philosophy of life. But our greatest danger is focusing on the urgent things of life at the expense of the important things of life, and soon life is over. Back in 1974, Harry and Sandy Shapin wrote a song that became the number one song of the year and is often considered one of the greatest songs of all time, The Cat's in the Cradle. Remember that song? 
In this song, he tells the story of a, of a father who has good intentions toward his son, wants to spend time with him, but there are planes to catch and bills to pay, and so he makes excuses as to why he's not spending time. When you coming home, Dad? The little boy asks. He says, well, I don't know, son, but we'll get together then, and we'll have a good time then. And despite the disappointments, the little boy still loves and admires his father, And he says, I want to be just like you, Dad. I'm going to be just like you. Well, later in life, the father's priorities change. And he calls the son and he says, Son, when can we get together? I want to spend some time with you. Well, Dad, I'd like to, but got bills to pay and the kids are sick. We'll get together sometime soon. We'll get together then and we'll have a good time then, Dad. And the father realizes the son has turned out just like him. A victim of the tyranny of the urgent. In the last session, we talked about how that Satan often attacks us, not overtly by saying there is no God or there is no truth in the Word of God, but he attacks us through distractions. We have good intentions, but the urgent things of life tend to wedge themselves between us and God. We want to prioritize what's truly important, but there are planes to catch. There are bills to pay. And before we know it, life is gone. We have the best of intentions. We want a vibrant relationship with God. We want to prioritize our faith and our family, our friends. We want to be a friend that that makes disciples and pushes others closer to Christ. We, we want to put together that financial plan and manage God's resources, God's way for God's glory. We want to take care of ourselves and practice physical fitness, and we'll do that as soon as we can. But the urgent, the urgent things of life tend to slam us, and we realize that we have become slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. So how do we escape? How do we escape the tyranny of the urgent? Well, the answer lies in the life of our Lord. As we see the prayer, the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, we see that Jesus here makes an astonishing claim. Jesus, in that high priestly prayer, says, Lord, I have brought you glory and I have finished the work you called me to do. Now, It's interesting at this point that Jesus makes that claim. It's interesting on two fronts, at least. Number one, it's interesting that Jesus says, I finished the work when there were countless people who still needed to be healed. There were countless people who still needed to accept the fact that God had a plan, a redemption plan, and Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that Old Testament prophecy pointing to the Messiah. Many people did not believe that. And Jesus said, I've finished my work. It's also interesting that Jesus makes this assertion before the cross. We'll peer into that in a moment. But on this night, Jesus said, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. On that night, Jesus had peace. On that night, Jesus knew that his work was done. Well, how did Jesus succeed in combating the tyranny of the urgent? 
Well, number one, was it his work ethic? Perhaps Jesus overcame the tyranny of the urgent through the strong work ethic that we see demonstrated over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus worked hard, and Jesus often put in long hours. Mark reports that in chapter 1, verses 32 through 34, as an example, Jesus healed many, many sick, many possessed. After another strenuous session, Jesus boarded a boat and fell asleep exhausted, according to Mark chapter 4. Jesus worked hard. Now, I would say that certainly we should have a sense of urgency about the way that we work if we are to be successful. No doubt about that. My dad had a philosophy when it came to work, and it was you work hard and you work long. And daddy had the the most difficult time dealing with youth pastors. I'm not trying to be offensive if you're a youth pastor because I'm not saying that you're not a hard worker, but the ones that daddy had evidently were just not hard enough workers because he could not keep a youth pastor. I remember on some occasions him going and getting the youth pastor out of bed. Daddy just didn't have much tolerance when it came to somebody who was a slacker. And he he taught us to work hard, work extremely hard. Because he had been taught as Captain John Smith who brought the pilgrims to America, if you don't work, you don't eat. And quite frankly, I think that ought to be etched over the United States Welfare Department, don't you? If you don't work and you're able, you ought not to eat. We ought to work hard, there's no doubt about it. Could perhaps hard work combat the tyranny of the urgent? I think we need to work hard. Uh, I encourage our students to join the 5 a.m. club. Get up at 5 o'clock, start the day fast, finish the day strong, work hard, funnel your energy into things that matter most. Certainly we need a strong work ethic. Could that possibly combat, however, the tyranny of the urgent? Lombardi, the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers, had a famous quote. He said, God gave you two ends, one for thinking and one for sitting. Success depends on what you use. Heads you win, tails you lose. (laughs) Certainly we should work hard, should we not? And and perhaps that is why Jesus was was able to overcome the tyranny of the urgent, focusing his energy on the things that mattered most. Certainly Jesus set the ultimate example with his work ethic. Yet as you see in the outline, no matter how hard Jesus worked as his fame spread, There were still demands of others left undone, and the tyranny of the urgent remained. The more that he did, remember our example this morning? The more that he did, the more there was to do. Because as his fame spread, there was a greater and greater demand for his services. This man can heal you. This man works miracles. And so the urgency, the urgent requirements on Jesus continued to increase. And no matter how hard he worked, it remained. The tyranny of the urgent remained. Well, secondly, perhaps it was that Jesus was people-focused versus being task-focused. Perhaps that was the reason that Jesus was able to overcome the tyranny of the urgent. Certainly, we see that Jesus made people the focus of his ministry, Jesus was in the people business. 
Certainly we should be in the people business and be focused upon people. Jesus set that example. Despite the many demands on Jesus, he was never feverish. That is to say, restless or uncontrolled. Despite all the demands, Jesus always had time for people. Jesus could spend hours talking with one person like the woman at the well in Samaria. Here Jesus has been on a long journey. He's at the well. And He notices this woman. And He gives this woman time. He gives this woman His energy. And verse 27 tells us that the disciples absolutely marveled that He was talking to a woman. Not just a Samaritan, but a woman. What is He doing? This is our Master. What He was doing was giving attention to people. And Jesus was no respecter of persons. People must be the focus of our ministry. We have numerous urgent demands thrown at us daily and none are more important than people. There's an old joke in ministry. If it wasn't for the people, I would enjoy my ministry, right? (laughs) And we say that tongue in cheek. But sometimes it's, it's easy to forget What should be our main focus, is it not? Several years ago, I read a book by Hybels, and he brought out a poignant point, and that was, as you see in the outline, when leadership and discipleship collide, always choose discipleship. When leadership and discipleship collide, always choose discipleship. What is our mission? What is our mandate? Making disciples. Keeping the main thing the main thing. And certainly Jesus set that example as he prioritized people. We often get caught up in the thick of thin things. Do we not? As we combat the tyranny of the urgent, we're often combating thin things. Things things that really don't amount to a hill of beans, as we used to say in South Mississippi. In their book, The Trellis and the Vine, Marshall and Payne bring this out vividly. That far too often in ministry, we tend to focus on the trellis, the structure, instead of focusing on the vine, the mission of the church. Brother Harold Latham was a noted evangelist in our work, the BMA of America, for a number of years. He was from Theodore, Alabama, just about an hour from where we lived in South Mississippi. And he and my dad were were real good friends. I remember Brother Harold telling an account of going down to uh, the docks there in in Mobile Bay and fishing. took his son Tommy fishing one day. And as they made their way out on the dock, there was an African-American man and his his boys there, and they began to talk. And this man saw Brother Harold, and he said, you're a preacher, aren't you? He said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. How did you know that? He said, I just knew it. There was just something about you. He said, I began to talk with this gentleman. He said, it became obvious how wise that he was very quickly. And he said, preacher, he said, you know, there are a lot of people involved in church work, but not a lot of people involved in the work of the church. Brother Harold saying, will you run that by me one more time? He said, there are a lot of people involved in church work that are not involved in the work of the church. 
What's he saying? There's a lot of focus on the trellis, the structure, but not a lot of focus on the vine, which is making disciples, the mission of the church, the mandate that that God has given us. And it's all about people. It's all about people. As we were in the, uh, the class just a moment ago uh, with Dr. Atterbury's class, Dr. Helwig's class, we were talking about how that in most of our Baptist churches, the business meeting centers around the minutia of church work, right? It's all about church work. <laughs> Very little about the work of the church. When's the last time you heard a business meeting begin by reporting on how many professions of faith you've had since your last meeting or how many people have been trained to share their faith since the last meeting or how many people have been discipled since your last meeting. No, we typically start with the trellis, don't we? The focus is on the trellis instead of being on people, the vine. And how important it is that we follow the example of Jesus and that we prioritize people what's truly important to God. And perhaps it was Jesus' focus on people that helped him combat the tyranny of the urgent. However, even though Jesus focused on people versus task, the tyranny of the urgent remained and demand for his services actually increased. So, how did Jesus combat the tyranny of the urgent? It wasn't his work ethic as strong and how important it is that we have a good work ethic. As strong of a point as that is, I should say. It wasn't the fact that he was focused on people. As important as it is that we focus our ministries on people. How did Jesus combat the tyranny of the urgent? Well, the key to Jesus' success was simply he prayerfully waited for God's instructions. Jesus, every day of his life, waited for God's instructions. Jesus practiced what we talked about in the first session. And that was, Jesus was focused on God's plan and carrying out God's plan each and every day. Jesus was committed to doing the Father's will above all else. He did not come to the earth with a divine blueprint or schedule, neither did we. Just as us, Jesus became a human being. And yet we see that Jesus discerned God's will day by day by day through prayer. Remember Brother our Dr. E. Harold Henderson bringing a revival at our church a number of years ago, Bartleman Street Church there in Wiggins. And I remember Dr. Henderson talking about how that he began each day. He said he tried to discipline himself. First thing out of his mouth every day was to say, Good morning, Jesus. And you know how effervescent that that Dr. Henderson was. You could just see him saying that. Good morning, Jesus. Reporting for work. Reporting for duty. Well, as we study the life of Christ, what we see in the life of Christ was that Jesus started his day reporting to the Father in like manner. Jesus understood that God had a plan. And forgive me for taking my glasses on and off. I'm at that stage where I can't see, but I don't have bifocals. And so I know that's got to be a disturbance, so forgive me for that. Jesus began each day understanding that he needed to check in with the Father. 
with headquarters. Now, as we discussed this morning in our first session, a plan is an intention or decision about what one is going to do. When Jesus came to the earth, he came to do what? The Father's will. We see evidence of that over and over again. At the age of 12, what did Jesus say when his parents came back to to look for him? I must be about my father's business. See, at the age of 12, Jesus knew that God had a plan. And he was going to be in on the father's plan. That is why he came, to do the father's will. Parenthetically, let me say, Vance Havner, that famed Southern Baptist evangelist, talking about Jesus' Jesus's parents losing him. He said that Jesus' parents lost him at church. And they weren't the last ones to lose him there. How true that is, is it not? Talking about the tyranny of the urgent. Understanding that God has a plan. And that should be prioritized above all things. Not just church work, but the work of the church. Which is the plan of God. God's redemption plan. Jesus understood that. God had a plan and he was getting in on it. Then we see in the Garden of Gethsemane another example of Jesus recognizing that God had a plan. As he's praying and their sweat drops as of great drops of blood, the scriptures describe, what does Jesus say? Lord, I paraphrased, I don't want to go through this. The human side of me, the human element here, does not want to deal with this. Nevertheless, not my plan, not my will, But your plan, your will be done. So when we say that every day Jesus combated the tyranny of the urgent by going to the Father, it wasn't that he didn't understand the plan. He understood the master plan. But every day he sought the Father's will to implement the plan that day. Because of the tyranny of the urgent. Remember our example of all the things that we have to do. If they were stacked up, they would go out the roof. The urgent. Jesus faced that more than any of us as his fame spread. And every day Jesus realized that the demands are here and my time is here. So how did he combat that? He went to the Father to say, Lord, I have limited time today because I have placed myself in the human realm with human skin. What will you have me do today that's in accordance with your divine plan? That's how Jesus combated the tyranny of the urgent. Remember we talked about there will always be more to do than we can possibly do. There will always be more to do than we can possibly do. And so what do we do? We become masters at prioritization. How do we become masters at prioritization? We follow the example of Jesus. Every day we begin reporting into headquarters and say, Lord, what will you have me do today? As we partner with God to fulfill God's plan as he works in us and through us. So Jesus understood the master plan and would simply ask God, how do I stay on track with that today? Enjoying sports uh, the way that I do, I I read about a lot of these coaches, especially in the field of leadership. And and one of of the more intriguing coaches of our modern day is Nick Saban, the coach at, at Alabama. And he has what has been famous or infamously called, according to whether you're a Tide fan or not, the process. What is the process? 
Well, what Saban teaches his players is really a lesson in psychology, where you break the game down to the lowest common denominator. And what he teaches them in the process is that you don't worry about the score on the scoreboard. You focus on the next play. That's all that you focus on. You don't focus on the next quarter. You don't focus on anything besides your assignment for the next play. Now, I think there is a spiritual lesson to be learned there that we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And that is to live life one day at a time. My, my daughter, Timber, uh, puts these posters over her bed on the ceiling. So when you lay down, you're, you're looking up at those. She changes them out periodically. And so I'll just go in there once in a while and I'll lay down on her bed to see what's up. You know, literally, what's up? And so the other day I went in there and I laid down on Timber's bed and I look up. And one of them was a quote by Jim, Jim Elliott that said, wherever you are, be all there. That's great advice, isn't it? Wherever you are, be all there. I tend to live life in the future. Uh, kind of a type A, a planner, always thinking ahead when life is what's happening day by day by day. Wherever you are, be all there. And every day Jesus was all there and he was there seeking the Father's will above all things. And that is how Jesus combated the tyranny of the urgent. Day after day, communing with the Father. So, we see that this practice allowed Jesus to resist the urgent demands of others and focus on what was most important to God. Let's look together at a couple of passages of Scripture to see how that Jesus lived this out day after day. First of all, let's look to Mark chapter 1 at verses 32 through 38. Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 38. It says, That evening at sundown, when they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Okay, now here's, here's what's happened. <laughs> Jesus has been healing people all day long, up into the night. But the demands are so urgent that he couldn't heal all of them. Or he didn't heal all of them. And so he goes to bed. He rises early. He checks in with the Father. Father, how do I prioritize my time today? Now you would think intuitively that the Father would say, well, finish the job at hand. I mean, you haven't healed all these people from yesterday. But that's not what God told him to do, was it? Intuitively, you would think... Whoever was still in line, that's what we're going to do. But So the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Well, of course they're looking for him. I mean, this is the miracle worker. They're adding to the, the tyranny of the urgent. Of course they're looking for him. 
And you expect you to say, oh man, I'm sorry about that. I'll be right out. But what does Jesus say? No, we're leaving. We're going to another town. Now, that's not the way most of us would think, is it? But most of us are probably not in communion with the Father like Jesus was. I certainly am not. But it's a lesson for us. The demands of ministry will always be more than we're able to do. So our job, through the intervention of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us through through the Word of God and in our relationship with God, is to help us prioritize what God would have us do that day. A second passage. We notice in John chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Turn with me there, if you will. Another example of how Jesus combats the tyranny of the urgent in a way that is counterintuitive to the way we would think. In John chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we see now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? (laughs) When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Now, again, intuitively we're thinking we need to rush to Lazarus and prevent him from dying. He's ill. He's deathly ill. But after Jesus hears that he's ill, he waits two more days. Now, what's happening here? Jesus stayed two more days despite the urgent need. And the urgent need was to prevent death. However, the spiritual need was to pray just to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that's what Jesus was waiting on. As he communed with the Father, it was about bringing the Father glory. And in both of these situations... We see that Jesus, and this should say, it should be Jesus saying yes to the Father's purpose instead of Jesus said yes. Jesus saying yes to the Father's purpose meant saying no to urgent human needs. Waiting for the Father's instructions freed Jesus from the tyranny of the urgent and provided a sense of direction. A sense of direction. May we understand as we study from God's Word, productivity is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that we conjure up of ourselves. It is God working in us, from us, and through us to accomplish His plan. And the most important principle for being productive is to begin the day in the Word and in prayer. With Disciple Way... The first discipline that we, we teach students is Bible study. In our original plan, prayer was first. Bible study was second. But we recognize something that I don't think we, none of us need to forget, and that is we need to hear from God before he needs to hear from us. And so while that, that might be somewhat of a nuance, I like to begin the day in the Word and then pray. Because I do need to hear from God worse than He needs to hear from me. And His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we fight the tear to the urgent, we need to hear from God. And that daily dose of God's Word, I think, supernaturally empowers us and prepares us for the day ahead. Now let's go back to John chapter 17 as we draw to a close. Verse 
In John chapter 17, again, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. Now, again, find that interesting and that there were still so many demands on Jesus that seemingly were left undone. And I also find it interesting that Jesus in John 17 says he has finished the work before he's gone to the cross. But consider what all Jesus had done. As he sees the end in sight, he sees that his work was finished. Jesus had preached to the Jews. Jesus had given full proof that he was the Messiah. Jesus had selected and trained his disciples. Jesus had taught his disciples the nature of the new faith, of the new covenant of grace. Jesus had given his parting counsel to his disciples. And all that remained was for Jesus to return to the Father. And Jesus said, I have finished the work you gave me to do. He had finished his work. Now, I'm not a theologian, and I don't want to read into this anything that is not in its context, but I can't help but wonder here. Jesus, knowing that the cross is coming, saying that my work has been finished, lets you get some insight as to how Jesus saw the cross. Certainly from the human side, we see in Gethsemane that he didn't want to go through that. But we also see in the high priestly prayer evidence that the cross is something that Jesus was looking at in such a way that they were not going to take his life. He was going to give his life. His life's work had been done. He had prepared the way. And now he was about to give his life at Calvary. How did Jesus fight the tear of the urgent? He was focused. He was intentional. He realized and recognized that God had a plan, that his time was short, and he stayed true to the task. Jesus had three years to accomplish in his ministry the mission that God gave him. And my, did he accomplish it. If you were to go back 2,000 years ago, and you were to look ahead in time, and someone were to ask you, what will survive, the Roman Empire or this little band of men they call Christians? Which one would you have selected? And yet today, that band of little Christians is some two billion strong. And the Roman Empire has been in shambles for years. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled what God gave him to do. Because Jesus combated the tyranny of the urgent. How did he do that? Every day through communion with the Father. What an example for us. We've got all these tasks stacked up going out the roof more than we can ever get done. We've got such little time. How do we, how do we bridge this chasm? Every day in communion with the Father. Prioritizing what's truly important to God. And making every day, each and every day, a day in which we're all there. We're living life in the moment. And we're following the Father's instructions that day. Do the right thing. Do it today. Do it with no hope of return or promise of reward. Do it with a smile and a godly attitude. And do it day after day after day. Do it and someday there will come a day that will be a payday. 
For all the yesterdays you, you have spent focused on the current day. That will not only give value to today, but will make each future day outshine each yesterday. And what more could we ask of a day? Every day. Beginning that day with the Father. Getting the Father's instructions. In conclusion, one of the greatest struggles of the Christian life is the effort to make adequate time for daily waiting on God, weekly inventory, and monthly planning. Lord, what would you have me do this year? What would you have me do this month? What would you have me do this week? What would you have me do this day? Being intentional about that. The group of men that, um, that we're discipling each Friday last week had a visitor by the name of Gary Gore. Gary's from up at Tumbling Shoals, Arkansas. He's a, a mutual friend of, of a colleague of mine, and, and he came as a, as a guest of this colleague. And, uh, and Gary's company's been very successful. They have a, a training facility up there. They work with Federal Express and a number of Fortune 500 companies training their executives. Gary is a godly Christian man, but he's on up in years now. And, and we were just asking Gary questions about life and what has God taught you lately? And last week, this, this past Friday, he, he made a comment that I thought was quite interesting. He said, you know, God has taught me to learn to listen. And he said, I've spent so much of my time just talking to God. But I've spent very little time listening to God. So as we commune with the Father each day, combating the tyranny of the urgent, may we learn to listen to God. As we commune with him. Giving him time to speak into our lives. This is the key to escaping the tyranny of the urgent. As we follow the teachings of Jesus and seek his wisdom in making decisions. He frees us from the tyranny of the urgent to do what is most important. Jesus knew the master plan. And he made each day contribute in a meaningful way toward God's plan for his life. At the end of life. What could give us greater joy than knowing we did the work God gave us to do? Then we can look forward to hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May we not get caught up in the urgent things of life at the expense of the important things of life. Maybe today we're like tattoo. We're picking them up and we're laying them down. But the question is, Are we taking care of the Father's business? Are we involved in church work? Are we involved in the work of the church? Where we're investing our energy in our lives, does it really matter? Are we taking care of the Father's business? Are we spending our life, wasting our life, hoarding our life? Are we involved in the work of the trellis or the work of the vine? May God help us to combat the tyranny of the urgent by each and every day being focused upon playing our role in the Father's master plan. Would you stand, please? As we look ahead, we've looked at the importance of planning. We have looked now at the tyranny of the urgent, how to combat that. And on Thursday, we're going to look at how to take some practical steps to learn to invest our time. There are really two components of planning. The first is spiritual. We've talked about that today. Let's talk a little bit more about the practical components, our part 
and fulfilling God's will for our lives as we come back together Thursday morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, um, certainly you're privy to what we're talking about. And we all, uh, Lord, fall prey to the urgent things of life. And often they consume our time at the expense of the important things of life. The most important being accomplishing your will, playing our role in your master plan. Father, I pray that you'll help us to follow the example of Jesus who remained so close to you, the Son of God, God the Son, and yet every day he sought the will of God the Father. Lord, help us to remember these lessons from your word. Help us to apply this, Lord, not that it just be knowledge, but the application of that knowledge, wisdom. Help us to walk in wisdom. And, Father, may we bring honor and glory to you each and every day. I pray, Father, that at the end of our lives, we're able to say, as Jesus said, we have finished the work you gave us to do. Help us to be faithful. Create a burden within us if we're not. In Jesus' name, amen.